everybody, and welcome in to Two Man Game here on Klabes Online. I'm Matthew Rocchio. Obviously, on the uh, other side of the screen, it is not Bob Ramsey. He is on currently on a drive down to the Lake of the Ozarks. So we decided to upgrade the SLU broadcasting team talent-wise and go get <laughs> Earl Austin Jr. to fill in for Bob Ramsey. That's who you see right there. Earl, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. You know, it's a beautiful day in St. Louis. A little muggy, but hey, we, we can't complain. We got, we got a big game going on with the Blues tonight, <laughs> but we're here to talk a little bit of basketball. Obviously, me and Rammer, as the offseason has kind of unfolded for the St. Louis Billikens, we've been able to kind of lock into every little move. Obviously, you had the, the big roller coaster with the Uri Collins news. You had some transfer news early, and we've had some post-Uri Collins news. So I really just wanted to get your opinion on what you've seen from this offseason. So Uri's staying, a guy like Javon Pickett coming in as a grad transfer. They figure out the backup situation behind a Coro. Just all in all, what are your thoughts so far on the St. Louis Billikens offseason? Well, it was a bit of a roller coaster there for a little bit, obviously with Yuri's situation, but uh, it looks like everything is falling into place. And, uh, uh, you know, if everything goes to form, we should be, you know, on track for a very successful season. And once again, I'm very much looking forward, I always look forward to Delegate basketball, but it should be a lot of fun, like you say, with the additions uh, to the program. Uh, and probably the biggest addition to the program will be the return of Javante Perkins to the lineup. So that's what I'm most looking forward to. I think he was really going to show some folks something. I watched him in practice last year. He was shooting the ball at such a clip with such range. He was 15 pounds bigger, stronger, more physical. So hopefully if he gets back healthy and the knee is sound with what everything that's going back, uh, uh, we, we could have a lot of fun next year. And like you said, uh, with, with the new additions to the program, a lot of depth, well, it should be good competition. So, uh, yeah, it, it should be good. I'm, you know, very enthusiastic about it. Yeah, and th there was some definitely enthusiasm that played out. You know, John Rothstein, you know, obviously the the college basketball fiend that he is, he was tweeting about the A10 and St. Louis. In fact, he he made a he had a pretty strong statement saying that essentially SLU was playing without the guy who would have been the A10 Conference Player of the Year. Some people kind of balked at that because he didn't play at all. But I think you went straight to it. I mean, they legitimately were playing last year and won 20 basketball games without a guy who it would have been hard to see not winning the A-10 Conference Player of the Year. You add in new players, you get more, uh, you get one more year of experience in guys like Yuri Collins, Gibson Jimerson, even Fred Thatch, Francis Socorro. Everything you, you're, you're talking about, adding new players, other players growing, and really the system that we've seen Travis Ford build over these last couple of years, it's hard not to get excited about this St. Louis team. It, it's kind of hard to tamp down your expectations because everything that we've seen, style, roster building, injuries, you know, everything is kind of pointing towards St. Louis kind of hitting that high mark, that apex of this current roster. Yeah, I think what we saw last year with Javante going out is you saw some some players really uh, elevate into prime positions, which you may not have seen. You saw Gibson Jemerson become one of the better scoring threats in the Atlantic 10 Conference. Gibson came into the college basketball as a, a marksman, you know, young man who could shoot it from three-point deep, but he became a three-level scorer yeah. last year. You know, he, you know, he had six threes in that tournament against St. Bonaventure, but he was knocking them down from mid-range, moving without the basketball, like you see Curry, John Havlicek, guys like that, Reggie Miller, backdoor cuts. So you saw him become a, a more potent offensive threat, which bodes well this year. You saw Francis Okoro go from, at the beginning of the season, going to offensive rebounds, catching lobs from Uri to a guy that you could throw the ball into the post and he can get your buckets. 
and you can uh, build the offense inside out. You saw that as the season went on. He became a viable scoring threat. You saw Fred Thatch Jr. from the UMass game on when he scored 20 points off the bench. He became a starter. He became a reliable scoring threat. He's always he was always a junkyard dog glue guy type of guy, great defender, rebounder. Yeah. But you saw him. He was our percentage wise our best three point shooter in conference play, over 40 percent. You know, taking big shots, and uh, you saw his game flourish as well. So you 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 saw that obviously you saw Yuri Collins become uh, arguably the best guard in the in the Atlantic Ten Conference, first team All Conference, led the nation in assists, first team All Defense as well. So he just you know that the George Mason game was the signature moment, thirty five points, whatever it was, plus the game winner in double overtime at the buzzer. So you saw him elevate into a, once he came to school as a, as a pass first point guard, now you see him hitting mid-range, hitting threes, runners, floaters, and really elevate his offensive game. So you take all of that a year, big, a year older, and then you incorporate a proven 20-point-a-night uh, guy in Javante into the offense. And this is when I even took talking about the newcomers, like you said, uh, Sincere Parker from Moberly was a Juco All-American, averaged 25. He was a great player, and, and, and watched their, watch their run all the way to the national tournament. Javon Pickett, like you said, uh, comes with four years of SEC experience, versatile, 6'5", and then uh, the young big. We got uh, Cissé and then uh, Forrester, uh, uh, 6'9", a veteran, uh, you know, T.J. Hargrove. You know, so it's just a lot of uh, – just a lot of good pieces uh, in place and some good pieces coming in. And, uh, you know, you got to mold it into a team. And like I said, it's going to be high expectations, and that's good. You want high expectations. We've been there and there were low expectations. So you want to be thought of in the favorites with Davidson and Dayton and VCU. That's where you want to be because that's where the action is at. And uh, that's where I expect to be next year. And yeah, that's where a lot of people are expecting to be as well. Something you mentioned there uh, that I want to touch on really quickly before we close out the slew discussion, which is you talked about obviously the importance of Yuri Collins. And, you know, he's playing so many minutes. But at the end of the day, there's still, you know, nine or ten minutes, you know, a, a game, you know, maybe maybe a little bit more, where Yuri Collins isn't going to be on the floor, and somebody else has got to bring up and, and initiate that offense. So is is the backup point guard spot something that you expect to be uh, really taken care of here in the next, you know, in, in the interim over the next four months? Or is there a combination maybe of a transfer and then somebody like Javante Perkins or Gibson Jimerson maybe stepping up as a ball handler and taking possessions where they can be – you know, initiating the offense. How do you maybe see some of those, you know, that, that 10% of the possessions that Yuri won't be taking, how do you see them attacking that from, like, the point guard and ball handler position? Well, ideally you want a, a competent backup uh, veteran, somebody kind of like we had DJ last year uh, who was a fifth-year, you know, grad transfer and, and, and took up those minutes. You want somebody who, you know, can, can do that. And then, but you want to develop a few other guys, hopefully in the breach. You know, you saw Fred do that. And then you saw a little test run in the game against Northern Iowa when Yuri didn't play. Fred Thatch did some ball handling. You might see Javante, you know, Kellen Thames, one of our freshmen, played point guard for his dad, Kelly, at Pattonville High School. And, uh, you know, so, you know, he, he, he's, he's done some of that. So you'll see, uh, you know, obviously you like somebody who's a, like a, maybe a veteran grad transfer or a young player. Who, you know, and then that's and like you say that it, it's kind of tricky because you know Yuri's going to play a lot of minutes, and so it's it's got to be a good fit as well. So yeah, I, I expect that spot to be filled, but then I'll expect some other guys to develop and hopefully become that secondary, third, fourth ball handler as well. 
Do you think um, this is, you you bring it up since your Parker kind of made me think about this? How much do you think we see guys, Sincere Parker, Kellen Thames, some of the newcomers that we haven't gotten to talk about as much, what is your expectation on how much we actually will see them? Obviously, Sincere's a little different transferring from the, from, from Juco, obviously different than a guy like Kellen Thames coming in who, who's uh, a freshman. Do you think we'll see those guys get a big chunk of minutes this year, or is that just, or, or are we just seeing Travis Ford continually reloading and planning for the long haul? I think you'll see them, you know, I think if they, if you see them play themselves into good minutes, that means they've made significant strides from the moment they stepped on campus. And I think that's one thing we've seen with Travis since he's taken over. He's done a nice job of really uh, recruiting and, and keeping the talent level at a certain uh, level where you didn't have to depend on a bunch of freshmen. Like four or five, several years ago, there would be a time where you needed Kellen Thames and Nick Kramer. They'd be thrown to the fire right away. And they're talented players and could handle it. But it's it's tough. College basketball is tough on most freshmen, obviously, the you know, the McDonald's All Americans and the one and Dunners, but a lot still there's a lot of freshmen that come in and they gotta get their feet wet. But they're in a but during it's right now if you're in a process where you got so you got a lot of talent and experience, especially at the wing position, especially inside with Francis, obviously Yuri at the point. So there there's no breath pressing need for them to come in right away and play because you got guys right there in place they can learn and do their thing but if they were able to make big strides in that interim and, and forge themselves into some minutes then that makes it that makes it even better as well i i i, lo- I, lo- I just love the, the roster construction on this team and i've been like that for now two years just how travis is building this team and the way now he's built it almost perfectly to he's got his he's got his one he's got his five and then pretty much there's just like a glut of nine, ten guys who we're just going to call wings or, you know, shooters or guard, however you want to call them. There's just, glut, there's just a glut of ten guys who are between 6'4 and I guess 6'9 who you can pretty much play anywhere between the two through four, however you want to call it. It's just it, – it, all that matters is do you got your one, do you got your five, and who you putting around it. And he's built such a beautiful – depth around that system I like it when college when college programs it seems like it's so much harder nowadays college programs to build a scheme across years and here we go this is we're, we're, we're really rolling into like the third full year of the current scheme we're seeing Travis Ford run having that kind of luxury I think and this kind of game I think we're going to see it really pay dividends for for the Billikens this year that's that's what Travis has really done he has established some continuity in recruiting that we really haven't seen in my 31 years we've seen the high the peaks and the valleys we've seen where you know the Claggett Highmark that group H. Waldman took us to two tournaments then we kind of had to start over and rebuild again after they left you know then Larry's group came and then obviously we had, uh, you know, you had the the, Majer- the sons of Majerus, as my friend Bernie Miklas called it, called them uh, uh, Kwame and Dwayne Evans and Cody and Rob Lowe and all those guys. They went over 100 games, we went to three tournaments, won a couple A-10s. Then after they graduated, we kind of had to start all over again from the bottom and build ourselves up. But what we've seen from Travis, you know, our first championship run, you know, it was Javon Bess, uh, Tremaine Isbell, and we had four or five seniors, 50 seniors, and they graduated. Now, most years we'd have to go to the bottom, but when they graduated, uh, we are, we had Jordan Goodwin and Hassan French in place. They took up the leadership role, and it fell on them. Plus, Devonte entered the program right around that time, so it was those three. And so we still kept winning twenty plus games, even though we lost a good senior class that won some championship. Now, Jay Good 
and uh, Hassan had moved on. And in essence, Javante didn't play, so that three left. But then in place, you had Yuri Collins, Fred Thatch, Gibson Jimerson, TJ Hargrove. You had a bunch of guys who were playing a lot of basketball under them. So you, there really wasn't a lot of drop-off. And you had guys in place who played minutes, who were ready to go. And they've kept it going. At a, at a, we won 23 games and, and kept it going. So that's what I've been most impressed with, the continuity of talent. We really haven't had that drop-off where we've had to start all over again. And that's what's really been encouraging these past seven years. There he is. That is Earl Austin Jr. We're talking a little bit of slew Billikens basketball here on two-man game. Bob Ramsey uh, taking a little bit of a drive today, so couldn't join us. So Earl Austin steps in. His St. Louis Billikens broadcast co cohort over on Camel X joins us here talking a little bit of basketball. That was talking a little bit of slew. Now, let's change it, though, to, to the pro game. I know you're obviously locked into that because it's, it's hard not to be. Before we get into really the big question, uh, not only around St. Louis and NBA circles, but you know nationally with the Eastern Conference Finals, Jason Tatum and the Celtics taking on the heat. Before we get into of that game, which is going to be, I mean, man, the end of that series is going to be incredible. I want to get a couple thoughts from you on some of the teams that we've seen eliminated. The biggest one, me and Rammer talked so much this year uh, about the Eastern Conference, but every time we talk Western Conference, the, it, it would revolve around the Phoenix Suns or the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, either now neither of those teams made it to the Western Conference Finals, but they were fun to watch, and I think they are both kind of going in different ways, kind of going in the future. So I wanted to get your thoughts really quickly about those two teams specifically. What did you see from a young Grizzlies team, and how do you see them growing over the next few seasons as a, as a club together? Well, their future is unlimited, obviously, to get a second seed and win 56 games and second-best record in basketball behind Phoenix – to do that with so many under 25 guys was uh, was tremendous. Obviously, they got one of the more established. They got one of the established young superstars in the game in John Morant, but then they got guys like Desmond Bain, one of the top young shooters in basketball. Uh, Brandon Clark, one of the top offensive rebounders. You know, uh, you know, a defender and uh, Dylan Brooks. I mean, they just got so many different weapons. They bear. They you know, JJJ is one of the up and young bigs who's versatile. He's kind of one of those new age bigs who's got a great, a big ceiling, you know, along with Josh. So they got, and then they got, like I said, Adam, then they got the veterans like slow-mo and, and big Steven Adams and they go 10, 11 deep. Mm -hmm. And they, they've just done a tremendous, and they play hard. They play good defense, block shots. They get steals. What they lacked obviously was championship experience. And you saw that, not only against Golden State, but you saw that against Minnesota in the first round. You know, the reason why they beat Minnesota, because Minnesota was just as young and inex more inexperienced and just as young and more mistake prone than Memphis was or else Minnesota might have been playing Golden State. But Memphis was able to get through what, what they were able to get away with against Memphis. Obviously, they couldn't get away with against a, a team with, with championship pedigree like Golden State. But you got to be excited about what their future is as well. Man, Ja, ja is so much fun to watch. My, my biggest takeaway with Ja, it, it will always and consistently be uh, just start landing uh, with both feet on your dunks, my man. Uh, you look too much like Derrick Rose out there, and that terrifies me every single time I watch yeah. it happen. Uh, just start landing with two feet. 
I, I, that way I can breathe easy whenever you go for one of those highlight dunks. But, I mean, like you said, it's so much fun to watch. Jaron Jackson Jr., I think, is – I mean, it's it's hard not to come away with the Grizzlies and just fawn over John Moran. When you have that kind of young scorer, a guy who's the future of the NBA, one of the future faces of the NBA. But you, I think you brought up, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr., I really think, is the linchpin. You know, when he – would get in foul trouble, it would be a completely different ball game than when he was he was locked in. And I think that kind of speaks to the the big theme that I've been trying to point out with the NBA this year is that you might you know, if you're a casual fan, I don't think you want, people will understand just how important defense is and how important a guy like Jaron Jackson Jr. was to consistently affecting shots, blocking shots, being able to run guys out on the perimeter and things like that. He's been so crucial. If he can get his things right and he can continue growing alongside Bain and Brooks and, and Morant, I mean, yeah, it he, will only be a matter of time until they have championship experience because they're going to break through. He determines the ceiling of that franchise. Obviously, Jaws' health is one thing, but JJJ, because like you say, He's a two-way big in, t- in the in the theme of Giannis and Anthony Davis, guys that can impact a game. Like you said, he's a great three-point shooter for a big. He can score inside, but like you said, he's the best shot blocker. leading the league in shot blocking. You yep. know, you know, and and despite foul trouble, and he, like you say, what's he twenty-two? You know, young. He's, yeah. a, he's a pup, so he his ceiling is so high, and uh, you know, he, and he, he's he's just a he would be a matchup nightmare. And to the point where if you wanted to play big, you can play him and Adams together at times, like they did this latter part of the Golden State series when they really gave the G the dubs trouble. You know, he, he just he just determined they, or you can play him at the five and then you bring in Clark or whoever, slow mo at the four, it doesn't matter. But yeah, he just has so much uh oozing with potential. Ja, I'd like to see start to play the long game early, mm-hmm. like you said. Uh, watched what D rolls, you know, he got, you know, don't depend, you know, obviously his athleticism, he's just a highlight real dunker, get to the rack. But I'd like to see him even at an early age, start to develop a few old man things like the mid range jumper, be a little more consistent at the three, start to develop that. Don't wait till you're 28, 29, when some of your athleticism mm-hmm. start to develop that game early. That, that way you become the ultimate unicorn where you could do all three levels still at peak athleticism, you know, start yeah, he to should, develop, yeah. He should be watching like 2012 to like 2016 Dwayne Wade tape. Yeah. Being like, if I, if I can have these moves by, yeah. by, when I'm 28 or 29, it's going to completely extend right. my career. Because yeah, right. That's, you're right. He, that As soon as that athleticism loses a little bit, he's got to find where that compensation is right. going to come from. Right, because he's a daredevil. Like D. Wade was a daredevil. D. Rose was a daredevil. But start to develop those other skills, that late skills early. Start to develop those early. And then I think it makes you even more dangerous. Like, say, when, you, when you're 25 instead of when you're 29. Like he'd be 25 years old. And he would own the league, you know, if he was if he was if he was pure three levels at 25 when he enters his peak, you know, it would be just like you see Giannis at 26, 27. He developed a bit of a he developed his mid range. Now, he only hit the three once in a while, but the mid range and the turnarounds and all that has become. Now he's unstoppable. Now with what he already does, but I know we're talking West. So you don't need. I digress. You don't need. You don't need a mid range when you can euro step from the three point line. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as, as you see, as you see, mid range from you know that's uh, that's almost taboo. But that grammar will tell you that that's for me. That's still I think a big part, especially if you're a dominant. You want to be a dominant scorer. I think you want to. I you want to collect money 
at every spot. That's why I call, like I said, I'm, I'm digressing again because I know we're talking the West, but I, I call Jason the land, Tatum the landlord because he, he, he collects money at every spot on the floor. He collects <laughs> it at the high post, the mid that. post, yep. the three-point line, in the paint, the free throw line, you know, 25 feet from the basket. There's, if there's money to be had, why forsake it? You know, I know we're in the math equation right now, but you want to be all you as I said, as a score, you want to have more answers than the people defending you have questions. And well, I think that's the key. I think that we're getting back to circling back to Ja. I think as he develops more answers than they have questions while he's this freak athlete, young, it would make him you potentially that's where, you know, could, that's where they can break through and possibly win a championship next year or 24 or 25 possibly if he goes to that next level earlier you know one one of the people in fact i would actually kind of like deputize you into my argument when we would talk about how important mid-range shooting is and i would be like i I know that's why earl lawson loves devin booker one of the best probably the best mid-range scorer outside of maybe like a kevin durant uh in the league during the regular season and Kawhi leonard and Kawhi Mm -hmm. leonard so here's my question we saw an incredible (coughs) suns team that was great defensively great offensively and I i don't know if we ever saw that same suns team once the playoffs actually started so looking at that team looking at a guy like devin booker looking at a chris paul who's probably only got a year or so left as kind of a you know a plus player where do you see the future of the Phoenix Suns did they have they already kind of missed their Paul Booker window and how do you maybe see a reload going with Booker as the main guy well it all depends on what happens with Aiden mm-hmm. that's true what i mean all things seem to point that he won't be a son next year yep how will they replace him will they be a sign and trade can you get a uh, Miles Turner type player back, then I think you're still in good shape. Or do you go with a Biombo, McGee, bring Sackage back, which would be a solid trio because yeah. you got diverse skills, shot blocker, the young guy, and Sackage is more of a stretch, you know, Dario is a stretch, you know. <laughs> but if you're going to do that, you need to find another p- a weapon, you know. Like I say, Chris is getting up in years obviously on the backside it showed that with paul kind of on the decline even though he's still a great player they don't have another bucket booker is the only bucket that you have chris is a reluctant bucket he can get you on but at 37 he's got to conserve his energy and then hope to do something in the fourth quarter while the other guys johnson bridges crowder are more catch and shoot threes. They're more like the Dallas role player three point shooters. Good players, but yep. they can't they can't get you a bucket when yeah, you when you need one. And that's what that's the thing. Dallas had three of them, you know. Yes. We had Luca, exactly. they had Den Witty, and they had Jalen Brunson. Phoenix really only had one. And he was still I believe I still think he was playing with a shaky hamstring, which he missed those two games. And then the other one is a 37-year-old who was out of gas and and obviously had a quad, you know, but they just but they didn't have a they just didn't have a, a dependable bucket and then they were reluctant for whatever reason. I think Aiton was an advantage. They didn't throw the ball into him enough in the inside. You saw it a couple games against New Orleans where he he gave you 25 if he got the touches, but they, he didn't get the touches and uh, I think that I think that just caused a little strife too. So, but I, I think they. If you're gonna lose an Aiden, I think you need to find a you need to find another bucket. 
Man, Robert Sarver, just, he, they cannot get out of their own way. They finally build this. They they hit on the number one pick. Yeah, sure, he, he, he wasn't the best player in the draft, but it wasn't like you were you were completely kicking yourself for taking, you know, Aiden over Doncic where you were at, and yet you you piss the kid off because you don't show him the respect he, he thought he deserved last offseason. Now, you said now you're going into an offseason where you were supposed to be the favorite for the finals. You got bumped a little early, and now you're potentially losing – your you yeah. know, second franchise player, Robert Sarver yeah, and the yeah. Suns just can't get it right. Yeah, you, you, you were mad at the kid because he couldn't stop Giannis, <laughs> basically. What do you want for? I, he, and and yeah. he, he can't stop Giannis, and yeah. he's back in the, the backup to the you know your backups and your and your are are completely injured. Dario Saric isn't there, he, and he would have been. I mean, just being a body would have yeah. been more useful. And then you go into this season, sure, you get Biombo, you get McGee, you figure that spot out, but. Now Chris Paul is still having to play 28, 30 minutes right. in game 72, and he's dead by game you know, 90 in the playoffs. And so I, I, I feel like what we saw from the Suns wasn't – I mean, it wasn't – undoubtedly they failed to get it done on the court. But I honestly think that this is one of the rare cases where I really do think we need to put a little bit more pressure on the coaching staff failing to adjust the way they needed to and uh, a front office that didn't set up – that didn't set it the team up for as much success as it could have had. Well, but you, you, I think you, you watch basketball closely. I know, and you observe it. But most people do that. Probably realize that some of the bloom came off the Suns' rose when they played the Pelicans. Mm-hmm. That should have gone. That could have easily been a seven-game series. And that, that's. It, I mean, not, not <laughs> and, and and having it, that could have gone the other way. Pelicans. And having Mikhail Bridges and, yes. and and taking it taking till game three to figure out that we really need Mikhail just to shadow Brandon Ingram. That's yes. just that's that's the kind of adjustment yeah. that Monty Williams was seemingly making at halftime during the regular season, right. and yet it took him until game three during the postseason. That was just a surprising, you know, just lag behind by the coaching staff. I mean, he got out coached by Jason Kidd. I never thought that was going to happen during the regular season. Kidd has evolved. There's yes, no doubt has. about it. There's no doubt about it. And I think. Dallas, I mean, the trade for Washington, my Wizards, you know, that the trade which bought then winning mm-hmm. really uh, kind of took the. And then Brunson, obviously. I mean, I think the, the biggest thing for Dallas, that which happened for them, were the three games, first three games against Utah without Luka, where they got, they learned to play, and they won two of those games. Mm-hmm. And Brunson and then Witty became, you know, guys. They became guys, those games, that one game. You know, Brunson went for 72 games in game two and three, and then Whitty was right there with them. So, I mean, they, they gained their confidence that we can we can score whenever we want to. And then then Luca came back, so now they had kind of a – and then that three-headed monster showed up. That It, it took a while, but that's, that three-headed monster showed up in Phoenix on game seven. That's the, yeah. and did, did they did they ever and, yeah. and, and listen we'll have to have you on to, to talk about kind of the future of the Mavericks I think it's there but that's another case of an owner yes. I yeah. think having a good having a good hand and really needing to step up and have an offseason where for once he doesn't he doesn't kind of screw it up the way that shockingly Cuban kind of has um, you know, yeah. has, all, has all the money in the world has a team in Dallas but yet he can't make that big free agent well they never could they, and, and they, so now yeah. you got the you know a top three player in the NBA, and you got you got an off season where he's going to be expecting to get some help after it clearly just wasn't enough to get you over the hump. So I mean I I, I got to wonder I mean Sarver he always screws it up. Cuban has in the past. Do either of these owners get it correct? I I, I don't know. 
And the West is unforgiving. Yes, it is. Every mistake you make, you pay because it's just too much. It's too much heat out there. Even with all the injuries, it was. But next year, if everybody prayed, everybody's healthy. It's going to be an inferno in that West. And hey, the the West is tough, but I mean the East. I mean, it's 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 a rock fight every night. In fact, we're seeing that right now play out in the Eastern Conference Finals. Let's get into that a little bit. Sure. Tonight, Game 6, the Celtics now have completely turned the the um, momentum towards themselves and away from the Heat. I'm shocked by that. I thought after Game 3 that this really was the Heat series to lose. But yet, Jason Tatum, again, pretty simple. He had three games where he had to win two of them to take his team to the next level. He's going up against another star that's beat him before in, in, in Jimmy Butler in the Miami Heat. He's done it in game in the first game already. He's got to do it one more time. Jason Tatum, he did it against Giannis, take, took one more step. I mean, we are watching a, a St. Louisan go from all-star to all-NBA to, to potentially championship-level NBP caliber player right in front of our eyes over the last two weeks, and I think we're going to see it again tonight. It, it, his maturation and his development over the years, and as you say, over the months, has been tremendous. Because, like I said, you're you're seeing from Jason what you see in some of the greats in the game, in how they what they had to go through to become a champion or a potential champion, the heartache and the the tough losses and uh, the criticism and all that. He's but you see him just just. You know, he's become the total, you know, package two-way player. Like I say, taking KD straight up for the most part God, in that man. series. That 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 showed his defensive chops, mm -hmm. you know. And then obviously going to, I mean, game six in Milwaukee was arguably the best NBA performance from a St. Louis player ever. I go back to JoJo in game, go back JoJo in that historic game five against Phoenix. Uh, that triple overtime game, JoJo had 30, he had big shots, and he and, and so many players fouled out, and JoJo pretty much carried the Celtics home in that game against Phoenix, and they ended up winning that series, and JoJo is, I think, the MVP. Uh, but but this one, because it was 3-2, and Giannis put up a performance like he did against Phoenix last year to close them out, a 44-20 to close them out. And that should have been it for the Celtics. But Jason, but he was the second best player on the floor that night because Jason went for 46 and bought them back, bought Milwaukee back with Boston to, and to close. And then everybody joined in saying, so that's because Jason's going to have a big game, but at home, everybody is going to join in this beatdown tonight if they're going to, and they're going to have to. I mean, you, you got it. You got to close this thing out. Golden State's all waiting, sitting at home. You got to play with the urgency, as if you, as Jason's even said, we're down three two, and I think uh, I think we're going to see that from them because even as much as they struggled in that game five, he wasn't hitting shots, but he was dropping dimes. He had like five six assists, getting everybody else involved, and he was rebounding. Then he started making shots in the second half. So yeah, his evolution into this uh, top tier. Of basketball, and it's just—he's not—he's still two, three years from his physical peak. Like he's twenty-four, and he's you know? and we know he's growing. You know, he, he was listed yeah. at six nine coming into the season, but yeah, he's, he's six ten almost, six ten, six yeah. eleven, and, if you, right and he's still getting big. All you do is just look at Justin, his father. Justin's a big dude, and Jason's beginning into that his dad's body, you know. Mm -hmm. And so you, yeah, so it, it it's still he's still 
ascending. And I guess that's why I say about these young kids, they 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 reached their peak in their mid twenties. Giannis was twenty seven when you really saw him at his best. So he's starting, you know, and Jason's still a couple of years away from that. And you see him at this level where he's potentially, you know, if he takes care of business tonight, playing in a championship game. Hopefully next week, we'll see. And that, hey, that actually brings up something I said uh, earlier this week with Bob. We were just talking about the Mavericks. Luca. hey, you, you saw Giannis string bean to ripped. You saw Jason Tatum. He had some soft spots that he kind of hardened and, and, and bulked up in. Luca's got a lot of those soft spots that he's got to harden, so it's not just on him. So that, I, I, that's kind of a similar thing. I wonder if we're going to see Luca get to that physical state and then maybe take that next jump like we saw from Jason. If so, he wants to, Barkley, you know, Barkley did yep. the same, you know, same thing. You know, they, he lost 30 pound lost weight, and yeah. he became. And that's a such a Luca's ceiling is still because of his – you know, mm-hmm. and I think I think the best thing that happened was getting to the final conference finals and getting whipped. So now you got a taste of, okay, you're close. You you got closer to a championship, but you still got a ways to go. And I think that was, that was good for Luca. You know, and I think I think he and hopefully I think he's gonna take his conditioning and all that seriously, more seriously. That, that just shows you there's a level level where he can reach because it'll help him defensively if he a little better athletically and physically it'll help him defensively and obviously even more offensively what he can do which is incredible much much like charles barkley it's it's, it's when you hit that level where you no longer have to play yourself into shape during the regular season that's 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 what we need first from luca just get to the level where your stamina isn't something that's better in game 41 than game 4 just because you're actually you know off the couch and running a little bit more during the season yeah zion same way same way you know? oh god do you imagine if zion comes back at 260 oh god in shape with what the pelicans put out there that god push phoenix now you add you add Zion Williamson to that with CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram, who's become, you know, he's kind of nipping, he's kind of like Jason a little bit, you know, oh, he's yeah. on, on that track, you know. They got guys, you know. Something about guys who are six ten and can shoot that's terrifying. Um, I, I, I'm keeping you a little longer, also. That's I want to get, I want to get, I want to get two big things from you. First of all. Tonight, again, Game 6, Boston-Miami. Does Miami extend the series back to home into Game 7, or is Jason Tatum playing in the NBA Finals this year? Uh, Boston wins. Boston wins in Game 6. Yeah, Boston wins. I just – they're so – I've never seen – this is rare you see a team with that kind of size and athleticism, and you cannot name – you can't hide a guy. There's not one guy that you have to hide defensively in that starting five. That's, you know, that's rare in the NBA. Jason, JB, Marcus, Horford, and Time Lord all, all got a, at least a vote for on the all-defensive team this year. And then, you, and then collectively, they play great as a group. And then Grant Williams is a tough defender. I mean, they got... All I mean, so that that's that's just and, yeah, and, and it doesn't look like um, checking right now. I'm not seeing anything. It doesn't look like Tyler Hero is going to play tonight. No, I'm kind of shocked if he it, doesn't. It said it's, un- it says unlikely. Yeah, so I mean that's I mean that that's the wrap. Miami's just offense isn't good enough. And Kyle so, Lowry, if it wasn't the playoffs, Kyle Lowry wouldn't be playing either. Honestly, if it was regular season. Jimmy Butler may not be playing. I these honestly, guys, these these guys are just they're, they're hurt, but these, these these guys are injured. That's they're, they're they're soldiering through. I think I they need to credit. bench Kyle Lowry. I, I mean, yeah. even if I, he's he's at this point, 
you know, he is a definition. Like, you want to watch a guy and see, you know, can a can a twenty million dollar actually make a team, a twenty million dollar player actually make a team worse? And Kyle Lowry is one of those guys where it's it's rare, but he actually makes them worse when he's out on the court. He is injured and he is bad right now. Yeah, he so gave yeah, the, the initial really decided the it. first five minutes of Game Three. Kyle, you saw the best of Kyle, what Kyle Lowry can do for that team. And then as the, as the games went on, that he, you know, obviously you, when you're playing hurt, he gave him that initial boost, that spark, which what what they needed to get that game three win. But you know, I mean, they're going to give a Herculean effort. Boston cannot take that for granted because it is the Heat, and they're they're you know, Bams. You know, Pat, <laughs> Pat Riley's going to walk into the Pat Riley's yeah. going to walk into the locker room with yeah. nine rings on his fingers and just yeah. be like, "All right, boys, what are we going to do tonight?" Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're, you're going to see. So Boston, it, it will behoove them to take those first five, six minutes of this game, first quarter, dead serious. You know, don't make it any harder than it has to be. You know, oh, yeah. they they're they supposed to win tonight. They're supposed to win tonight. Absolutely. I think they will. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Something I'm, I said on the on the podcast a few weeks ago, you talked some of the shine was coming off the Grizzlies, some of the shine had come off the Suns. The Warriors weren't looking the, like they were at that level. Clay still wasn't there. Draymond had been suspended. So everything in the West was kind of jumbled up and, and, and not as pretty as we thought. And the East was just these teams were running on all cylinders. They were beating the crap out of each other, but they were still looking good. And so I thought three weeks ago when it was – when they were still the Suns, Warriors and Mavericks left and then there was the Bucks, Celtics and Heat. At that point I said definitively this is the Eastern Conference finals to win because it just all three of those teams just look better every night than anything we were seeing in the West. But obviously now the Celtics have taken another jump, but the Warriors have kind of reverted back into that, you know, lineup of death, you know, version that terrifies you from like 15, 16, 17. So if it is Boston and Golden State, Give me some of your. Give me an early prediction here. If that is the finals, oh god, that's going to be such a tremendous contrast because of the way we talked about Boston's size and length, and how they protect the basket, they can guard the perimeter, but you're not you're not taking on a team full of ISO guys. You're taking on a team that relies on ball movement, player movement, transition basketball. Incredible. Uh, so that 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 will be that will be fun to watch. Just how that how that goes, you know, just the, the matchup, especially if they go with that Wiggins on down lineup and the Boston plays big, which is their best lineup. Boston's you know, State's basically playing four perimeter players and Draymond's them, but a big fat point forward anyway who handles the ball. So it's uh you know that that that's going to be interesting. I think uh, how I think. Because Boston, I think, has multiple weapons. Mm-hmm. I think what they have to do is the stuff that they're they got away with with Miami. You can't turn the ball over and have those five six minutes where you just go on vacation offensively against Golden State. You you got away with it against Miami for the most part so far, and to a certain extent Milwaukee at times. But Golden State's another different another different uh, animal uh, yeah, as well. Their their defense yeah. is so much better than you expect. So yeah. like they'll they'll jump like all those all those passing lanes that the, the Heat have been jumping against Jason yeah. Tatum. The the Warriors are going to be in those exact same lanes, you know, if, if not more so with with a guy like Draymond, kind of you know quarterback right. in the defense. Right, and you're playing against a good half court team offense. Obviously, you played Miami. And that was struggling, and then obviously played against Milwaukee without Middleton. Golden State brings us so much 
so it, 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 it would be just so intriguing because what I was on with the Camelx with Claims about three weeks ago. And he asked me who was going to be in the finals. I said Boston and Golden State. I did. I said I. I don't know. I can pick the winner. I'm kind of. I don't know. But it would. It, 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 this is kind of the dream series, I think, because you got Boston, the team which was playing probably the best team in basketball after from January when the calendar turned to 2022 against Golden State, which was a contender, but then got injured, but not a hole again. So they're, you know, it was them and Phoenix. Them and Phoenix were with a battle for the one seed all year, but they just had injuries. So now they're healthy again. And the young guys now, Steve Kerr's got the young guys who are, so, you know, in big spots now. I mean, he's throwing Moody out. Moody had an eight-point riff last night, you know. At any time, kind of like what he did with Pat McCall three, four years ago from St. Louis, Moody can do that. Kaminga can go in and get you two or three. He got the confidence to go with anybody, you know, and obviously you've seen what Poole has done all season long. And now Wiggins, I think, holds the key. Now, Boston's got more. To, Boston can deal with Wiggins, but Dallas couldn't. They didn't have nobody that can deal with Boston's got size, athleticism. They can match up with, and they can match up with Looney inside as well. I mean, Time Lord and Al and Grant Williams, even Tice, you know, so they bought they, those guys. And Otto Porter was tough too. I mean, they didn't yeah, need Otto Porter. A, that's a good point. They they're gonna need Otto Porter's size and kind of length against this team. I mean, see, those those are the guys that hurt Dallas as much as Curry and uh, Clay Thompson, Looney, Wiggins, and uh, Power Porter before he got hurt because they well, Dallas didn't have the athleticism to deal with them around the basket. The rebounding totals were crazy. Boston had, can match up. With those guys as and, well. And you, so. and you saw, we saw in the Memphis series. You already mentioned it. If 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 Draymond's not having a good game, then Kevon Looney maybe has a down game. Then you can take advantage of of Golden State and, and win that size battle. And I think Boston's one of the team that can. Um, kind of secondarily, looking at you know the big men, the game within the game. Marcus Smart, the Defensive Player of the Year, chasing around Steph Curry for you know thirty minutes a night for seven, six, seven games. That's going to be a fascinating matchup every single time. Seeing how they try to get how how do they try to get Curry away from Smart? How does Udoka make sure that that Smart's always in Curry's way? I'll, I'll, that is the that'll be the matchup that'll be ungodly fun. It's already fun to watch Curry yes. run around off ball, but now having that, you know, that number 36 in a green jersey locked to his hip, that's going to be fascinating. And you and right, and you'll have Jalen Brown probably guarding Clay Thompson. Yep. And, yeah, and that, you know, that that's good. And so, like you said, Jason probably on Wiggins. So, mm-hmm. say when they bring Poole in, how do the matchups go? That's, you know, you put you, you put you put Jason on Clay. You put and then you, you size up because Jalen goes up Jalen goes up one and then Marcus goes you know Marcus stays on on Curry right. Jalen goes to Pool and then Tatum comes up because as much as right. I love Clay and you saw that Clay can still murder a team right I, at this point in his career I'm very confident that with the fa- with the athleticism being you know 10 15 percent lower than it was Jason Tatum can can with the way he plays defense he can play defense on Clay Thompson that's not a matchup I'm honestly worried about right. for the Celtics. Yeah, I think like I said, there's not a not a weak link on there. And then like I say, Boston can go small. You know, Derek White has proven to be a solid defender as well yeah. as as uh, as Grant Williams. Like I said, the only one really you have to hide is Pritchard, you know, and he's feisty. And, and it's not like you know, I mean, he'll I mean, go out and get you 15 points, you know. Yeah. I mean, he's he's, he's shooting the ball, so yeah, it, it, it'll be a. I think. Boston finishes it out. This series, I think, will be much more entertaining than uh, 
two conference finals uh, games for the most part. I think uh, I think it'll be it'll be tremendous because you got the team that's kind of been there and have kind of reinvented themselves as well, and now you got this team that's been knocking on the door the last. Uh, four or five years they've been to this Eastern Conference Finals. Now they finally get the meet. Probably could have easily met in twenty eighteen when Jason and them were rookie or babies, you know. Uh but now they're four or five years older and here they are playing against <laughs> Steph though. So, you know, hopefully that comes to pass. That would be that would be a lot of fun, no doubt. I'm with you on that one. There he is, Earl Austin Jr. Earl, thank you so much for joining us today on Two Man Game. I kept you for way too long than, than I wanted to, but I mean, getting to talk basketball with you has been an absolute pleasure. Hopefully, uh, we can get you on during some of the slew, uh, slew parts of the season so that me, you, and Rammer can chop up what will, will probably be a fascinating, what we hope to be, will be a fascinating and fun St. Louis basketball season to watch. Uh, everyone needs to go and follow you right now on Twitter at Earl Austin Jr. Very simple to find you. Uh, do you want what, to, what, what do you got going on? What do you want to pump uh, up? Where can we, where can we hear you where can we uh, where can we find you i write for the st louis american newspaper every thursday it's free pick it up cover all local sports i also work for prep hoops missouri and prep and prep girls hoops missouri where we cover basketball boys and girls throughout the state uh, high school recruiting uh aau tournaments and everything so if you get a chance subscribe to it uh uh it's uh it, it, it's fun if you follow high school basketball around the state. So those are the main things uh, around. They've got a big prep hoops tournament this weekend down at the Afton at the center of St. Louis Sports. As a matter of fact, nice. That's just that's just down the street from me. I might have to go. I might have to go check it out. So there it is, yep. Earl Austin Jr. Check him out on Twitter again. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been the two man game again. A big thank you to Earl Austin Jr. We'll be back next week. Bob Rams will be back in the in the seat. We'll see Earl Austin uh, probably after the summer. We're going to let him lock in on, on the on the prep on the prep sports things over the summer. We're going to let him take a little bit of time off. We're not going to p- talk too much slew basketball. Try to get our heads too big because they're already pretty big. But once the fall comes around, we'll, we'd love to have you on again. Thank you so much for your time today, Earl. Anytime, Matt. Enjoy it. Is. That, that is the two-man game. Thank you so much to our sponsors, Royal Banks of Missouri and Munganass St. Louis Acura. This has been the two-man game on Claves Online. St. Louis Acura, new inventory is arriving daily, both new and pre-owned. Our buying team adds a higher level of personalized service that others can't match. We sell over 100 pre-owned vehicles monthly, and many of these are matched by our buying teams in Missouri and Illinois. As new Acura production ramps up, be one of the lucky ones to try the newest Type S models now available. Performance has never been so stylish and comfortable. St. Louis Acura remains committed to becoming better than ever for you.